Coming up on this week's episode of the Zenial Odyssey Podcast. Bobby, can I take my experience with Fight Club just for five minutes? Go. When it comes to white men, the pendulum has swung, so it's it's now uh, apathy and dismissiveness. Tyler Durden is a character that was born from trauma that was set up to help yep. Edward Norton. Who nobody really talks about when it comes to Fight Club. It's male vulnerability. I guess what we're asking you to do with this episode is to re-explore it yourself. shows do 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 and it's like you know it's like all dark and then they're then they're talking and it's just like and welcome back right yeah but like they're talking but just moving their mouths you exactly can tell it's like fo- like faux talking like yeah if oh, any, hi if anything gave us the insight into it it's anchorman you know yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gave us punch you right in your ovaries <laughs> right there right in the baby maker all right everybody welcome back hi it's Bobby rocks here with remy hi it's me i'm remy send help <laughs> why send help I don't know. I thought you know. I thought it'd be a cool call in. Oh, oh, I thought it was going to be sent help for what we were going to talk about today. No, we don't need help for that. Oh no, yeah, we're going to get into it deep, everybody. We're going to get it real deep here. This is just a standalone episode where we talk about the great 1999 Fight Club, a retrospective here. And we apologize right off the jump for being two cis white males talking about Fight Club. I'm sure there's not a leniency of that anywhere, but um. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there'll be a lot of mansplaining. It'll it'll be you know it's just, we're mansplaining to each other men. So uh, you know essentially the universe will collapse upon itself when we do that. And I told Bob initially that um you know my opinion was that it's very odd, almost cliche thing to breach as like I said as just you know white guys. Um, but here's the thing: is like I think the movie can be seen differently now, and I think a lot of subtext for what the movie was kind of like implying can be discussed more openly now. And I, and I think that it's a weird time too, because the movie could very well be reflective of toxic masculinity, but that's only for people in my opinion who watch it wrong. Yeah. I would say it is the epitome of a movie that is like on an onion. It has layers and I know, yeah, I'm, I'm making a semi joke, but the, the truth is it's because it's such a polarizing movie. It's you have people who project onto it. You know, yeah, th- there are there are the, there are the themes that there are the themes that David Fincher took from the book that he presented in the film. There are the um, uh, reviews of the film in its day, and now there's like the retrospectives that people talk about now. But the problem with that I see with people talking about it now is that they just put their own spin, 2022 spin, on something that's 23 years old. Well, I mean, but I think that as a society, sometimes we. It's it's easy to almost look at things collectively, but differently. Like in other words, when that movie came out, nobody even discussed the term toxic masculinity. Right. So, um, but the funny subtext is like it's not that. It's actually a complete sort of rejection of that ideal if you truly mm-hmm. pay attention to what it's saying, yep. you know, and to anybody who who hasn't, you know, we suggest reading the book because Chuck Palahniuk, um, one of my favorite authors in the world, it, it, it's it's basically like a sort of meditation on masculinity. Yeah, and you know, it's told via masculinity, but there's also a weird intimacy between the men in the film. You know, mm-hmm. when and that opens up another door where the movie is ultimately a metaphor for Chuck Palahniuk's own acceptance of his own homosexuality. Yep. When he wrote it, he was in a um, you know heterosexual relationship, and 
he had this feeling in him for a long time. And I remember when Fight Club came out and people said that, you know, my, my young brain was like, that makes too much sense, you know? Yeah, but there's so many people that we both know that, I mean, cognitive dissonance kicked in and they were, no, it's not. No, of, of no. Of course, yeah, because no. it's about guy guys being guys guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like Chuck even came out years later and was like, no, no, a lot of that has to do with my closeted homosexuality. It's a throwback to Spartacus. Come on. <laughs> no, it's Brokeback Mountain with actual, with actual guys breaking each other's backs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that... Um, Instead of finishing on them. <laughs> yeah, no, that was behind the scenes. But, but I think even then, then as a society, we have to say that that's huge if... Because, I mean, I never had problems with homosexualities, homosexualities um, but there are people who do or did even. And I wonder if the exposure to that subject matter and then realizing Chuck himself came out helped them understand and accept it more. Yeah. In other words, if they're a fan of the guy's writing and what he does and what he says, you're not going to unbecome a fan based on who he sleeps with unless you're incredibly ignorant. Yeah, right. And and much like we talked about off the air before we came on to do the podcast, uh, when, when you brought up the angle of, of male sexuality yeah. uh, to it, I, and you started talking about it, I literally was like, oh, it's like the film book version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, no, it was a good, it was a, that's a good analogy. Yeah, it, it is. And it's kind of like the slow confession. And except, but what's interesting then we have to discuss um, is how about the fact that does he kill that part of himself at the end, mm. at the end of that yeah. movie? The, he kills the one who dresses well, kills the one who's just, come on, Brad Pitt's fabulous. He's yeah. just, he's wolf energy in that. I'm not going to use the term alpha. I don't like to, because it's just a big misconception in society, but he's wolf energy in that film. And I think when Edward Norton and the character in the book, Jack, whoever, let's keep him nameless, shoots himself mm -hmm. for, for Chuck at the time, who didn't embrace his homosexuality for another decade. Mm, yeah. That was him choosing to shoot that side for a bit. Yeah, Fight Club came out in the book, came yeah. out in 96. Yeah, I believe so, 95, yeah. 95, 96. So yeah, around the mid or mid what, uh, aughts, 2000, where is where he, we, he openly came out. But just so everybody knows, I mean, we've been talking for like five minutes and look how much we, uh, we've already peeled back already. So I feel like this is a great time to stop, just play a song, and then we come back into it, and we'll peel back even more layers. Yeah, you know what song you have to play, right? What's that? Well, your feet on the air. Oh, I would, I would love, I would absolutely love to play the Pixies. A lot of people weren't even exposed to that song before that movie. They really, Unfortunately, yeah. people weren't. And it's a shame for people from Massachusetts, because that was a Massachusetts band. That, the Pixies, uh, Black Francis, I mean, look where they went afterwards, but... Just focus on their albums. And yeah, most people are like, ah, oh, that's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song from their first album. Uh, but they, yeah, if you if you haven't heard their catalog before you watched Fight Club, I hope you have since. Wait, it, can, I do a, can I do a bit real quick? Sure. All right. This is so bad, and I'm really proud of it. All right. Remember James Blunt, that dude who sang, hey, you're beautiful. Yeah. Okay. James Blunt singing, Where's My Mind? Ready? Yeah. My feet on the hair, your head on the clouds. That's all. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. You know what? You don't have to be sorry for anything, everybody. Everybody, that was Remy serenading us to the break. And as always, welcome to the Odyssey.
so to put a little form to this, Bobby, can I take my experience with Fight Club just for five minutes? Go. So I'm I'm young. I'm not gonna name the age and date myself here. Um, but got my very first apartment. My closest friend had just unfortunately committed suicide. A lot of really terrible transitional things had happened, and I felt completely lost as a dude. I didn't know who to say that I was hurting to. I didn't know who to say that I was struggling to. Um, and so I lived on my own. I was just kind of in this mindset and find and find club. Fight Club found me, which is what was was going on there. And it, it and I'm talking about the movie. I, I wish I could say I found the book first, but I did not. But it was profound for me because it was the first time I had heard a voice given to, to a directionless, seemingly cis white male. I'd never felt my and I know people are like you guys are represented in everything. Yeah, but we weren't represented as broken. We weren't. We were represented That's as true. having it together. Yeah. So did I relate to Edward Norton at the beginning of the movie in terms of him having like a nice place and stuff to destroy? No. I felt like I was even more Fight Club than the characters in Fight Club. I lived in a ghetto. At the time, I lived in a studio apartment, ghetto ass apartment. Like, And so I didn't relate to that. But like my brother, I know he was older than me. I know he did. I know there were plenty who did that they were loading their life up with things. And I did relate to it, even though I didn't relate to it financially. It's it's like almost like it's the way it comes across, too, and the way you phrased it. Uh, I was just sitting here thinking about it. And it, it's true to me is is literally yeah if you take the size the sign white male mm-hmm. as an archetype it's like we've reached the pinnacle edward norton's char- character yeah but yet we've reached that pinnacle and we're empty yeah and no we're, that's we're the point doing things to fill fill up the emptiness and you know think about think about the title first of all like i'm stupid Let's just get that out of the way. Like, I own the Tyler Durden red jacket, the red leather jacket. I own the Hawaiian, I own the Hawaiian shirt. And that wasn't even me like buying stuff to cosplay. That was me saying to the universe when I saw that film, okay, this is who's going to protect me now. That was when, like, because my name's Raymond. My name's been Remy since I was a child, but Remy is sort of the Eminem to Marshall Mathers. You know, he's this character that's somewhat larger than life and protects me, but that was birthed unintentionally. Yeah, I think I don't know if we talked about that on an episode. We've talked about it off the air. I mean, like, yeah, I tell people they can call me Bobby Rocks. That's a caricature. Yeah, and much like you, you, we were saying, like Remy is like a, like a caricature. Yeah, we all have our Tyler's. That's yeah. the point. And like, I remember being like, oh, the hair, even my hair right now, it's it's purple and mohawk. It's Tyler Durden energy, you know. And it's not intentional. It's me trying to be some kind of ghetto anarchist in my own mindset. But it was just very profound for me because, you know, if you rewatch it, obviously the relationship between them is very homo raw, which I, I don't even think I picked up on the fact that the first time you see them in the house together, Brad Pitt's in the bath and Edward Norton's pulling out his teeth in the, in, the, in the sink like a married couple. You know, and there's a lot of times those two spend half naked or naked. Doesn't uh, Edward Norton's character even make reference to that? Like they're Ozzy and Harriet? Yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Yeah. Because yeah. and, you know, but even that being normalized to the guys who were watching it, I think that helped with the issue of homeless homo sweck i can't talk today bobby sunday energy <laughs> homosexuality i think that it made because because it's there and nobody turned off the movie at that scene when they're in the bathroom no one's like oh what is this gay you know what i mean but then you realize you know tyler durden is a character that was born from trauma that was set up to help yep. edward norton who can't relate to that mm-hmm. and then reframes the whole movie but i think that for a disjointed generation who grew up with nirvana music it was nirvana music the movie it was yeah. it was it, you know it was but it, it for me it was it became kind of a safe space because i always felt so weird and and not a member of society mm-hmm. and so i just you know and david fincher optioned the 
um, screenplay before it was even published, just from the buzz of the book. Yep. So like, you know, Chuck came out swinging. You know, it's funny, like a lot of people don't know, but they've made a few more Chuck movies. They can't hit it like they hit it. No, I was, when we were when we were driving to meet up here, I thought of Choke. Of course. Yeah. And great cast. Yeah, great cast. And it's like, you can't do it. Though. How did it miss the mark? Yeah. Well, because they weren't going to go full on the sex addiction of Choke. For those who don't no. know, there's another Palinuk movie that was made with Sam Rockwell and, and Jillian Jacobs, I think's her name, from Community. But it's amazing, like, story, but they couldn't hit it. It's because the book is so dark. Guy's a sex addict, but, like, meeting people in bathrooms. Real sex, if people don't know, real sex addiction is nasty. It's very depraved. And they touch on it really, really well because Chuck thought he had it for a while um and i'm sure again that was a metaphor for his secretive homosexual encounters that he was having but um the thing about choke is very very graphic very sexual very funny but also it's got a mind f of an ending like did you ever read the book uh, sadly no i just uh, watched the movie yeah don't let that stand as a representation at all I, I won't i won't ruin it for anyone but i have to say the thing about fight club so fight club happens and then i hear about this book that chuck also wrote called survivor about a, a suicide cult that one man survives from and i ended up reading the book in a day it was one of the coolest books i've ever read in my life and i read all of chuck's stuff for the first decade of his career because it's very transformative and brave and he he really i mean come on guts you know the short story guts yes there's no taboo to chuck palina no and um that there's no taboo there's nothing sacred nothing everything's on the table yeah some of it's going to repulse you yep. you know it, it's it's as is life though yeah that's that's a I, that's a fair depiction of life and and so so not to just ramble um endlessly but i think that fight club made me feel better it made me feel less alienated in that demographic and i think it's interesting right now because that demographic right now had it, it i mean you know the johnny depp thing there's stuff going on but we're realizing men have been victims too mm -hmm. and i feel like nobody wants to hear how straight men straight white men feel about things anymore you yeah know? i think we're we we've reached a point in society where uh extremism of it i i've i know i've gotten on my soapbox before about extremism uh but we've reached a point where when it comes to white men the pendulum has swung so it's it's now uh apathy and dismissiveness of of legitimate things that was a was at the forefront of the rising of of uh, marginalized people and so it's you know, if a rising tide's supposed to uh, lift all boats, like. It, but we do have to understand, like I was saying to you in the ride up here, we are carrying the sins of our fathers now. Yeah. And our yeah, fathers and our grandfathers did some horrible shit and put some horrible laws in place. And there are some new horrible laws in place. Yes. So we can look at society and understand why it exists, but we can still be sad and feel misrepresented. Mm hmm. Yeah, fair in that. And there is a lot of widespread misandry on public forums and social media right now. And I think that regardless of which gender you aim that toward, that's incredibly dangerous. But have we earned this to an extent? I hate to say yeah, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree with you there. I just, for me, it's like, what? but where do we go now? I mean, we've established this. Like We start podcasts yeah, yeah, to yeah, each I other. I know. But this is what I would say to any to anybody. Like uh, Kelly, if we had Kelly, intern Kelly on, yeah. I'd be like, yo, I, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with anything you've said. It's all true. Yes. And I have benefited from the horrific things that white men, my, uh, ancestors or not, white men did before. But we've established that and we're, we're a part of trying to change that. But there's things that we need to be a part of too, because there's things that are flying under the radar. And, and this this is, in my opinion, why I wanted to talk about 
a Fight Club retrospective. Yeah. It's a, it's a movie that's it's a just a, I mean if we talk about the book, the book is approaching thirty years old now. But we're talking about the movie. The movie is twenty three years old and doesn't look it or feel it. Yes, and that's just, on the one hand, it's a sad thing. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that's really my takeaway. I have probably start to finish watched Fight Club, you know, fifteen times. And the first time I watched it, I was a teenager. And then there was a bulk of it where I watched it in my 20s. And then I've watched it in my 30s. And all those different decades of my life, I'm taking something else away from it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that has never strayed as far as a absolutely important theme, and it's one of the themes I think I talked about in the first episode, is Brad Pitt's monologue about being the middle children of history. Like, mm. I, it so aptly applies to us. Uh, whether you consider Gen X or Millennial, yeah, whatever. That's the zillen- but that's the zillennial. Like, that's what makes this apropos yeah. to talk yeah, about. Yeah, and, and it's... And it, those words, our, our great war is a spiritual war. I do believe in that. Whether you're thinking of just religion or because I, I I don't view spirituality and religion as mutually exclusive. They can they can be the same thing, but they, they, can, can, they can mingle. Yeah, they can mingle or they can just be their own thing. Well, how do you think about how that aged? Let's talk about it. We have no great war. Now we do. Yeah. We have, you know, our great depression is our lives. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's like now we have some of the things mm-hmm. he didn't mention. Yep. Like we've had a pandemic. We're in the middle of, you know, what, the Iraq war ended? Yeah, but no. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be us invading countries to take over their assets, you Mm -hmm. know? And let's not go in that direction because that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms. Uh, But my favorite part of that monologue that he does is at the end, you know, where he says, and we're very, very pissed pissed off. Because to me, that represents, in the movie, it re- represents the actual formal start of Fight Club, which led into Project, Project Mayhem. Mayhem yeah. But it, it's like that, it's that uh, starting of like, you know, whether it's panning to the, the guys in the in the crowd or not, like you're seeing the nods, like, yep, that is me. But let's say, so, okay, I'm going to blow your mind right now just because I just made this connection in my head. So it's 1999 mm-hmm. where now Columbine has happened. Yeah, we're... we're Pretty much two years away from 9-11. Yeah, no, but check this out. Yep. So, so Columbine has happened, okay. And then you have Woodstock 99 happening, and you have a bunch of white kids ripping stuff down, starting fires, and, and molesting girls. Now put that in tandem with that Fight Club speech and realize how chilling it is, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On top of that, another uh, underlying theme of the movie is like anti-capitalism, mm-hmm. which I, th- I think is part of it's not I'm not saying that oh yeah because they're anti-capitalist that's, that's why that's why white men raped women at, at Woodstock and I, I'm just saying it, it adds to the tension of well, yeah, because, of a host of something that is becoming they a hostile environment eight bucks for water then, yeah too. a basic need of survival eight dollars yeah know? we don't even pay eight dollars now for water well maybe we know at Coachella but, I'm sure yeah. they do <laughs> yeah yeah but the five star version yeah but uh I like that you brought up Woodstock and, and a parallel we can make to Fight Club, which they both came out in the same year. They both happened to the same year. 99 was crazy. Is we just see, we see Woodstock, which was supposed to stand for like peace and love and togetherness. And by 19, 30 years later, it stood for suburban rage. Yeah. Suburban rage. It stood for capitalism at all costs and just a dispassionate look at humans, human beings. Yeah. I mean, and like other aspects people want to talk about is like plenty of people went out there with bags and bags of dirty drugs and fake Molly and, and you know what I mean? So they were just, I think for me, I was, the funny thing is that like me and my buddy had tickets to that. Okay. Under the guise that it was going to be the hippie renewal of the modern world and everyone yep. was going to be smoking weed and hugging. And that was my buddy who ended up taking his life. And he took his life two months before Woodstock and I'm 
I'm like, I can't go now because there's just too much weight attached to it for yeah. me. And I sold the tickets and lo and behold, like the way he was, obviously he was a sensitive soul. I was a sensitive whole. Had we been there, man, it would have been a really life-ruining experience. So I sometimes, you know, as much as a lot of tragedies happened for me around that time, I remember hearing about Woodstock 99 directly afterward and being like, oh, dude, we would have gotten killed trying to save some girl from some yeah. group. So things happen for a reason. But that's what I'm saying about, about Fight Club's timing. It was an incredibly transitional time for America. How many movies can say they were a zeitgeist? And then here we are 23 years later still talking about its relevance. A lot of movies in 99, though. Seven, American Beauty, like... There was a run in 99 of films that were just profound. Right there on the turn of the century, too. Yeah, and that's was it. And a lot of people thought, you know, Y2K and stuff. Little did we know 20 years later, Y2K would be laughing at that. The threat's yeah. much more real. Well, I worked in a supermarket at the time, so I remember everyone buying as many gallons of water as they could. Yeah. They didn't even know it. that stuff comes out of taps for free. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it, it kept me kind of sane. Long story short, it kept me sane. And I think that, um, but I, I, I want to say something, too, and I want, because we addressed this in the car and i don't want to forget this but i say like bob when you said i've seen it 15 times or so mm -hmm. now let's refill this room right now with the demographic of equal men and women all races how do you think be honest because i have a feeling about this but i want to know what you think mm -hmm. bobby who i don't know if you've seen him he looks like a football player um compliment you know great i look guy, i well look like i look like something that i'm actually not like yeah, it's well, like that yeah, me and bobby both look like we'd beat you up that's the that's the long and short story. We're the nicest people in the world. Yep. Doesn't mean I can't. It just means I don't. Yeah. It's it's not really something he chooses. Yeah. But now a guy looking like Bobby, bald head, beard, good shape, blah blah blah, saying I've seen it fifteen times. How how does that? How does the room read that? As a stereotypical, prototypical, toxic psy man. Yeah. Do they man. immediately think you like yep. violence? Yep. You you don't hold women in high regard. That's my problem. Because I told mm -hmm. Bob, he's like, do you want to talk about Fight Club? And I'm like, we should because I'm nervous too. Because I think people have a very inaccurate perception of yep. that film. First of all, it's about men, it's not about men fighting. There's like three fights in the movie. It's about men's mental health. Yep. That's a hundred percent. I've never seen it represented. I just yep. so I think people take it wrong. And they think it's aggro when it's not because there's a point even when Tyler's like what the fuck are we doing mm -hmm. a dude just got killed what are we doing oh such a a movie Robert full Paulson. Of, a movie full of great scenes and, and quotes and uh, there's another one yeah and the guy they shame for having the bitch titties gets the most heroic ending yep. in the movie and yep. he gets chanted on in Project Mayhem we have no names yep. but in death we all have a name his name was his Robert name Paulson. was Robert Paulson yeah like, oh. but people don't understand yeah. that it's about men grieving it's about men yep. um, fighting against what they're taught to do which is buy and conform it, it's about men not letting their bosses push them how, around how about the fact of the whole catalyst for this is he goes to his doctor because he's having insomnia and his doctor recommends him to go to these like the cancer That's, groups for men to show own... to show real suffering and he falls in love with the grief and the tension yeah which is fucked up but because on the surface what it, what it showed there which i loved and this is something that nobody really talks about when it comes to fight club that's male vulnerability 100% in there and and like not just Robert Paulson but the other man who said like you know because he can't have children because of his testicular cancer and his wife divorced him and, and he's got remarried sobbing. yeah and he's just broken in that moment he's absolutely broken and what does it 
really Edward Norton getting held by a woman. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's meatloaf, but no, it's not meatloaf. Yep. The whole thing in that, and people make jokes. It's, it's a surrogate mom. Yeah, the yeah. bitch tits became pillows for him. And yep. as much as people joked about that, that's why he was so shook by that character's death, too, because that yep. was his kind of mother in a yep. way. You know, he was the matriarch patriarch. And now, by the way, that was Chuck Palahniuk doing that thing again. Mm-hmm. That was a transgender thing, whether or not he wants to say it, and that's fine. Because he doesn't want to I- just own the fact that you are the trendsetter of trendsetters. Yeah, I know Chuck. he was. Yeah. But I mean, you got to remember that that was mother's milk, those scenes. And if you look at as much as it was sociopathic for him to be in the meetings, my boy just needed a hug. Yeah. Do you know how mm-hmm. many people, you know how sad I've been? I mm-hmm. get it, dude. Lately, it's been things have been hard for me. You get it. You see it. And so I ask that people who've watched it or who haven't, just watch it differently. It's not a mm-hmm. violent movie. It's not a, it's a movie about dudes who are marginalized. Yep. Being like, oh my God, we all want to die. Yep. And then ultimately it culminates in the end with liberation. Yeah. And, and with we have to understand too yep. with the idea that he finds in the sickest way domesticated bliss with her, his arms over her. Yep. You know what I mean? That's the image. And oh, can we talk about the pre 9 11 imagery, Bobby? Yeah. Yeah. Bro, it is so chilling to even watch. I think somebody did a side by side just because that's what YouTube does. But I mean, the it blows up right in the middle, goes down the same way because it was all planted dynamite. But we're not going to talk about that because this is an Alice Jones documentary. Yep. No, no. We're just playing around guys have your own opinion about things we don't push one thing one way or another but my point is is it's chill inducing how much they predicted the aggro male becoming more sensitive check more and more seemingly heterosexual males actually seeking intimacy and comfort with other men check check a subtext of homosexuality. Check. Check. Yeah, it's all there. Yep. A, a rejection of the nine to five work aesthetic. How many guys are working Check. from home for themselves now? Yep. It's all there. Absolute checks. It checks all the boxes. And uh, one thing that we talked about off the air when we were coming up here to do the, the episode is we talked about in the modern times how uh, the modern like teenage early 20s male is looking at that movie. Yeah. And that that is a problem. Agreed. I'll come right out and say that's a problem. Yeah, they're they're not seeing it for what it was intended for, and and it, that happens. Time, everything is a everything is at the mercy of time. I, I do agree with that. Soft boys are not understanding that they're not getting the message, and they're part of the problem. Yeah, exactly. And what they and what these people do who are already ready to be radicalized is they see it as a way to radicalize. And if we speak of zeitgeist, let's look at let's look at um the Trump presidency. And I'm not going to go into whether you liked him or not, but what what he did is my takeaway from his presidency is that uh, he ran on a on a platform, by the way, he ran on Reagan's platform from 1980, yes. like literally ripped him off. But yeah. uh, you know, let's get America back to the good old days. And what it, what happened is there were radical people who said, "Yeah, let's get back to racism and misogyny." Yeah, this means shooting people and with gun stocks. Yeah, yeah. No, and here's the thing. So, and we're still we're still kind of even though he's not in office right now, we're still still coming out of that mindset. Uh, so let me ask you a question, sure. Bobby, and answer it honestly. Okay, because me and Bob discussed this, and I don't. I, I think we agreed, but I'm curious to see what he's going to say. My big fear being that it's a movie I deeply appreciate and, and admire. Do you think that that movie speaks to the MAGA hats now? Mm, I think they feel like it does, but it doesn't. No, no. I'm yeah. not telling you do you think yeah. it does. We know it doesn't. But my fear is that it 100% does. Is that they well, look yeah, at a, that movie as just... Exactly. The, they they see it and they, and they use it to galvanize... The, 
uh, themselves get themselves like, yeah, they, yeah, we're taking it back. And it's like um, the Turner Diaries put on film. To them. Yeah. Yeah. Like they see that and they go, yeah, I felt fragile. And I've and instead of uh, having a conversation or maybe collectively like, hey, like I want to talk about my fragility and how I cannot feel like the anxiety that comes along with they that. They picked up their guns. Exactly. Yeah. Reaction formation. You know, I can't be fragile. I can't be weak. I have to be the strong male. Because that's what like I'm like, you know, Bob, I don't want this episode to appeal to one audience let's put yeah. it that way and um yeah. and that's my fear i think i think fight club is a widely misinterpreted song at this point i think listen we're 23 years on and it's been misinterpreted for 23 years but like i was like shook like i got it mm-hmm. you know and it sounds so corny but some people did and for me it was like yeah it was off for me because i'd never and then i gotta say further on and i'm so i'm so sorry to say this um because i will not watch kevin spacey's films now because I just I don't want I don't even like bringing it up but you had Fight Club capturing the pathos of the young man and American Beauty months later capturing the pathos yep. of the older man and and what's beautiful more so with American Beauty it's a it's it's extremely subtle in Fight Club is the element of satire there's elements of satire in both but it's it's more it's more in your face in American Beauty. It's there. There's an element of satire and some people that rubs people the wrong way. Because, I've always made fun because of Because the, the best way to get certain messages across is through satire. Yeah. No, it really is. And, and I'm from the school that art should make us all a little uncomfortable sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, my worry now is that, is, is that even talking about Fight Club is that the world... Yeah, the world's cooking a stew and just focusing on the wrong flavors when right. it comes to that, yep. you know. And, and this isn't everybody. This isn't a blanket statement. There's some beautiful essays on it. There's some... Be- there, are, there are professionals who teach subjects on it it's mm-hmm. a profound piece of work but i guess what we're asking you to do with this episode is to re-explore it yourself yeah you know try to re-explore it because it's not a this is a it's it's a movie that's about uh when i say liberation we could take liberation on so many different levels if we take the book essentially the book is for chuck was liberating uh him about his obviously because for people who don't know and, and remy and i talked about this again every single thing that chuck has written is very personal Mm-hmm. He's writing from a personal standpoint. So you could take it as that's his, that's him using these caricatures and characters to talk about his personal struggles. Yeah. And at the end, when it's liberated, he feels a little liberated or, or he got catharsis from that. So let's look at this from this standpoint. When you are, if you're going to look at it, look at it with an open mind. Well, yeah. I know that's easier said than done because I feel people have a hard time now looking at things with open minds. This, and this is what I say with all art. Try to just go at it blind. Don't go at it with prepackaged feelings about what you've been told to yes. feel or expect, you know? And this isn't even necessarily a go watch Fight Club podcast. It's just us. All right. The world is focused on toxic masculinity. And, and I get it, you know? Especially post-Trump, I get it. And one point I was kind of getting to about it now is nowadays it's 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 looked at and you you see a lot of critics, toxic masculinity tag to it. Like, yeah, yep. and I think that that's, here's my take that makes that so damning. Because remember Rosie O'Donnell went after the film when it came out mm-hmm. too, and it's just, just sit down and shut up. We didn't make it for you. But I, th- I don't think the movie reflects toxic masculinity at all. And this is going to be my final thing I can say about this because I can't get it better than this. But I think that movie for the first time captures fragile masculinity. Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. And yep. it opened the doors for all of us to be like, hey, like you could play it for your friends and then look at them. And you could tell your friends who got it or your friends who just liked it. Yep. And then your friends who got it, you'd be like, all right. So, you know, like when he blew up his apartment to fight the idea of consumerism, like how did you feel about that? that and it's like you look at each other's eyes and it's like god i wish 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there are people who connected with it deeply, and then that opened the discourse for people like us to be like, oh. And I remember at the time, too, right after that, I got in a super toxic relationship. And, you know, I remember being able to talk to people about some of my male friends about that because we had talked about deep shit because of Fight Club. So, yeah, we just, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of two dudes paying homage to something that really helped them. Yes, and two of us still talking about something that's still relevant to them years later and still find it relevant to our modern times that we find ourselves in. Uh, I think it's a good time to uh, jump off from here uh, just because, I mean, I, we, I feel like we could go on and on and on and on and on. Um, so we will jump off with that. And uh, as always, everybody, if you have any feedback. Oh, wait, one more. Yeah. Read all his books. Honestly, the guy's got some remarkable books. Read Survivor, probably the greatest book I ever read in my life. Um Read Snuff, read Damned, read... Lullaby. Yes. Lullaby. So for anybody, I'll just go on my yeah, little... Yeah, no, of course. So Lullaby is uh, the first book I read by him. And if you want to hear the backstory, all of this is true. To me, it's just holy fuck. Chuck Palahniuk's father was in a relationship with a woman who... I don't... Was she still married or just estranged from her? A very toxic and abusive uh, it's husband. Such a, it's, it's a... Yeah. And let me do an addendum at the end. Okay. All right. So... And I'm going to speed it up now. Long story short, this guy, whether he was in jail or not, he finds them and he murdered them. He murdered Chuck's father and his uh, girlfriend at the time. So You know how? Uh, I just know very brutally. And Bro, he, in their driveway, lit them on fire. Mm. And it's like, and please continue, but let me cut off. So when that happened, that happened three years after my best friend burned himself alive. Mm. And so there was this weird thing with Chuck's writing where I always felt deeply connected yep. to it because it was like, you know, I can't imagine the loss on that, but yeah. so continue. So the man goes to trial. He's obviously found guilty. And I believe the judge approaches Chuck and he says to him, I want to explain to you all the, the decisions that can be made. He could go to jail for life. He could be put to death. I want your thoughts so I can proceed accordingly. And so Chuck is sitting there debating this, still grieving the loss of his father, and he's asked to put the life of a human being in in his hands. It's a human being. He has every right to hate, by the way. But there's still that part of him, moralistically speaking, that's like, I don't know how I feel like that. But you know how I'm going to go to my strength, and I'm going to write a book about it. And that's what he did. He wrote a book that's essentially, and I'm again, I'm par I'm just simplifying for the sake of time. These people find this lullaby, and if you were to say it out loud, if people around you hear it, they die. Yeah, and and. I mean, I know people right now are like, what? That sounds amazing. Yeah, it yeah. is amazing. Yep. Um, it's called The Culling Tale, and there's some interesting African history about it, too. He always just puts some stuff in there. But um, keep in mind, guys, whenever we talk about a Chuck book, they are shocking. Yep. Like, listen, Fight Club was as non-shocking as Chuck Palahniuk has ever gotten. Mm -hmm. He has written passages and stories that have made people vomit and pass out. That's not a joke. At public readings, it's happened to him multiple times. So understand that there'll be parts of Lullaby that will jaw you. But, you know, think about Lullaby in terms of the laws being passed right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, a great point. Singing a lullaby to your loved ones as opposed to, you know, but but that was him, him coming to terms with the death of his father. Mm -hmm. Yep. And also kind of rationalizing in his own mind. Uh, the fact that somebody had put somebody else's life in his hands, the, the fate of their life in his and hands. And there's a literal scene with a life in someone's hands yep. in that book. Mm -hmm. And it's like, guys, you're, you're just a metaphor of metaphors. And yeah, analogies. you're not prepared for that yeah. scene. 
there are moments when you read him and you have to put a book yeah. down, not because like you don't want to keep reading it, because you need to sit with the moment mm-hmm. that just happened. You have to, yeah, exactly. You have to sit with it and realize that if you want to, if you're going to look for and and want to experience and appreciate the best things of life, you know, the light, you have to, you have to do the same thing to the dark. Oh yeah, and the best mm-hmm. thing about Lullaby, so it becomes a road trip movie mm. essentially. Where they're going around trying to get all the copies, right? Yep. To make sure that people aren't basically unintentional. Because you, what do you, who do you sing a lullaby to? Children. Yeah. So it, it's mm-hmm. heavy shit, you know. Yep. But it becomes this, and you have to understand about Chuck too. There's humor in it. There's always humor in the darkest parts. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, even the part that we find the most disturbing. There's a chance someone could be like, "That's the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever yep. heard." So sorry, but we're just saying if we're praising Club, we love Fincher. He's a god. Palyanak wrote it and he's written mm-hmm. so many other great books and, and listen, get a book on tape if you have to and listen yep. to it on the way to work. But Invisible Monster is another one that's just mm. unreal. But we should let you guys go. Yeah. Yeah. We've given we've given you guys enough heavy and enough content for one episode. So as always, everybody, thank you for tuning in. But this Odyssey has come to a conclusion. And until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.